Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing there. No conscience, no reason, no You're listening to Evil Eyes, a song from Halloween the Musical, written by my guest today, Jean Dehaz. It's one of several musicals he's written. We're going to talk about those. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of other things, from Disney World to a national tour of Mamma Mia and so many other things. This is a fun conversation that we'll get to in just a moment. And just when I thought I'd reached him, reached him, I had, had to surmise that Michael was just pure evil with his evil eyes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 32. Uh, this is a really fun conversation we're going to have today, and I uh, look forward to sharing it with you. Uh, just a few things before we get started. First of all, we're on Facebook now. Uh, if you go to facebook.com slash lifeinthepitpod, same as Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you're not really on Instagram or Twitter, but you're on Facebook, you can find all the stuff uh, posted on Facebook as well. So you'll be able to see video promos. You'll be able to see photos of things behind the scenes. Uh, so if you're on Facebook, go ahead and like us and follow us at Life in the Pit Pod. Furthermore, I would say, uh, just as I would ask you to, as always, please share these episodes uh, with your friends who might be interested and uh, offered a five-star review, I would say uh, share the Facebook page with your friends on Facebook who might be interested in what goes on in the pit, any, any of your musician friends, any music students, any fans of theater, because sometimes we do get outside the box. We talk about other aspects of theater besides the pit, even though the pit is the focus. Again, you just heard a snippet of Halloween the Musical by John DeHaz, and uh, that is one, if I'm counting correctly, it's one of seven musicals that he has written and had premiered, and uh, we're going to talk to him about that. Uh, but he, he lives in Florida. He lives in the Orlando area. And there's a reason for that. It's because he has been employed with Walt Disney World for uh, 20 years. Uh, I just want to say right away, I know, I know that I have some music students who listen to this podcast and, you know, pit musicians who'd like to go up a level. If you want to know about working at Disney World, what that's like, this is the episode for you. We're going to talk quite a bit about that. We're also going to talk about uh, theater throughout Florida, the the regional theater, especially in Central Florida. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, the fact that uh, John has been on the national tour of Mamma Mia, uh, playing keyboards, and uh, just hearing what that's like is quite a story. So uh, this is this is another long interview, but we we talk about quite a bit. And uh, I just look forward to sharing that with you. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get to it. Here is my conversation with John DeHaz. So, John, thanks for reaching out and sure. uh, agreeing to be on this podcast. So you coming to us from the Sunshine State, right? I am, yes. I'm in Orlando, Florida. 
Cool. What's how's the weather down there right now? It's beautiful. I'm sitting outside right now. It's about 75 or so. Sunny. Okay. Clear nice. skies. Nice. Uh, so I'm a yeah. former Florida resident. I'm I'm actually a Florida native. I was born in Florida, and I'm. Lived there 22 years before I moved to North Carolina, but uh, okay. um, but not in your part of Florida though. It's like I was in the Panhandle, and then uh, okay. I went to college in Jacksonville, which is not too far away. But nope. <laughs> yeah, um, Orlando is probably that's not the one big city I've not really explored very much, no. other than like I four going through it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Orlando, I mean, you know, went to Disney World once and that's probably about it. So how's the theater scene in Orlando? Um, it's different. Um, I, like I said, I've been with, with Disney for 21 years um, mm-hmm. as a musician. I've done a lot of theater here, but there's, it's the majority of the performing in Orlando is the theme parks. Um, Disney Universal, SeaWorld, Busch Gardens, all that kind of stuff. So the theater that is here, there's um, the Orlando Shakespeare's Professional Theater. And then there's the Orlando Rep, which is more children's theater. And then there's some smaller ones as well. Um, but there's there's really not a whole lot of it, unfortunately. And there's a lot of great talent, but unfortunately, there's just not a lot of theater. I've been in other cities. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally, and there's tons more theater there right. um, than there is in Orlando. Right. Um, also, they tend to they tend to cast, like especially the Shakes, they tend to cast out of New York for their shows, mm-hmm. which... I don't know. It's either or. I mean, there's so much talent in town. They could have cast shows in town, but they like this panache of, oh, there's a New York actor. I'm like, well, yeah, they live in New York. You know, I can move to New York and say I'm a New York musician. So right. I don't see the difference. You know, it's like talent is talent. They should just cast the most talented people for the roles. Um, I did a production of Les Mis a bunch of years ago. And it was a great production, but a lot of the people were cast out of New York. And it was kind of frustrating when, locals would come see it and go, wait, I could, I could have seen so-and-so in this role and it would have been just as good, if not better. So right. it's just, that's just the, that's the way they operate. So, um, yeah, Florida, Florida is interesting to me. I, I, my entire adolescence was, was in the state and, uh, you know, a good portion of my education was in the state, but my post college professional life has been, I haven't lived any of it in the state. You know, I've come back right. to visit a few times, do a performance. But right. uh, so it's interesting to just kind of hear what it is like professionally, because my um, my impression at the time was that it is it's a little bit trickier. It's like if you're if you're a retiree or if you're there for business that caters to retirees or if it caters to tourists, you right. know, you've probably it's it's a good state professionally, but everything else, it's artistically. A little bit tricky. Yeah, well, I mean, there's great theater. Like, I know down, down south and in Tampa, they've got some great theaters there. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with Orlando is that the, the clientele we have are these tourists who will come to the theme parks and see theme park entertainment and whatnot. They won't venture outside of their hotels or whatever. Like if you're doing a great show downtown, you're not going to get a couple from Missouri to drive 20 minutes into downtown to see a show. Right. At the shakes, it's just not going to happen. That's the problem. Right. Um, so basically, after K, there's a lot of local people. They've got a local fan base. I mean, the Orlando Fringe is a huge, huge festival. It's very, very popular every year, and that's in the spring. It's like two, two weeks in May, nice. where basically anyone can do any kind of theater, anything. Basically, anything goes. It's non-juried. I've done a lot of my shows there, and that's probably the the best representation of theater in Orlando 
for those two weeks because everyone gets together, everyone supports each other, and it's wonderful. And I kind of wish that feeling would carry on through the rest of the year. And unfortunately, it just it lasts for two weeks, and then everyone kind of goes their separate ways. Right. After that, I mean, some shows some shows have a life outside of the fringe. They go on from you know from the fringe to regional to somewhere else. So that's happened a couple times. Uh, right. Um, which is great. So so let's get a picture of uh, what it is you do. So you you say you work for Disney. What is it that you do? I play. Well, I was recently let go. I was furloughed, then I was let go. But mm-hmm. I can still. If my show reopens, hopefully I'll be back in um, as soon as it reopens. But um, for the last 21 years, I've been playing piano um, at the park. I started at the Comedy Warehouse, which is an improv comedy show at Pleasure Island. And I was there for like, uh, I think it closed in t- 2008. I started at Disney in 99. Hmm. So nine years, I guess. Um, and then starting in 2003, I learned the Hoopty Doo Review, which is the longest running dinner theater show. I think in the country, um, and I've been doing that since then. That was my that was my main gig. Um, we did three shows a night, uh, seven nights a week. I only worked three or four nights a week, um, but it was an hour and a half show with a, a piano and a banjo, and then six singer dancers. And it was all um, kind of like vaudeville-ish. Like a traveling troupe came in and and did all these fun things. It was just a lot of fun, a lot of honest participation, and then. All you can eat chicken ribs, mm-hmm. wine, beer, sangria, that kind of stuff. So, if you ever say hoopty doo, people are like, oh, I love the hoopty doo. It's it's a classic show. So I'm really, I'm really, really hoping that comes back. Right. Um, so I was doing that show. I was also doing a thing called the Princess Tea Party at the Grand Floridian, which was uh, I was playing piano and I had a, an actress who did the singing. And it was like an hour and a half, uh, very intimate experience with um, parents and their children, and uh, told the whole story of Rose Petal who was a friend to Princess Aurora, and then told the Princess Aurora story, which is Sleeping Beauty. And it was all underscored, and then she did about six or seven songs in the middle. Um, and that was great. So that was done at the Grand Floridian in the lobby as well. Um, but I've done a bunch of other shows. I did um, The Adventures Club, which was also at Pleasure Island. Um, I've, I've played for a lot of auditions at the park. I've played like rehearsals for Voice of Liberty, um, for Hoopty Doo. Um, a couple years ago, I did the, uh, it was called Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mix Live, and it was a live band um, that played at Epcot with three singers, and we had uh, Star-Lord and Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. and it was a whole rock show, and that was a lot of fun. That was at Epcot outside. Um, yeah, so just a lot of great, great different shows, a lot of variety, which is the, the best part of the job. You, you don't get bored. You know? Nice. Um I know I've got a, I've, I have at least a few listeners uh, who are, you know, students, music students, aspiring okay. to to be professionals. So, uh, what what do you do to get a job at Disney? Is it an audition process, or what do you have to do? Yeah, they have. They basically have, or they used to. They used to have, uh, auditions. Um, they used to be like monthly or every couple of months through the musicians' union, the AFM, and you'd audition. Whether or not they had openings or not, you could audition, go in there. Um, it was It's very rare that they would open a new show with live musicians. I don't even know the last one. The last one was the Guardians of the Galaxy. That was three years ago. Um, if they have those kind of auditions, then there'll be a posting. You go to the open call. Um, that one was kind of specific. You prepared a rock song with vocals, performed that. And then um, if you got called back, then you came back with a prepared song that they gave you the, the music for, and you played with 
uh, mock band that they had at the rehearsal thing. So I, I was playing keyboard. So I had like five other guys there who had been there all day and basically were playing. Um, and you did the song and sang and whatever. Um, that's how that audition worked. My first one was just, it was an open, there was an open call for pianists for the um, comedy warehouse. And I just went in, played a couple things. They had me impro- improvise some stuff. And then like a couple weeks later, I got a call. They said, yeah, we're going to train you. So I kind of learned that show. And then it's sort of once you're in the pipeline, um, they tend to just call you and say, hey, are you available for this? Are you interested in this? Um, the difference between musicians and all the other performers at Disney, with the performers at Disney, if you get a contract, it's good for one year. Mm-hmm. You're good for one year, and then they can either renew you or not renew you. With musician, if you get a contract, it's basically for life. Mm-hmm. So you get a job, it's like, so all so I basically I was a sub for fourteen years, fifteen years in all these different shows because every musician above me had been there, and they weren't leaving. So I always say either you die or you retire, right? And then you can move, yeah. You know, then you can move up the chain. So that's basically how I got to do. The guy retired, um, yeah, because it's a great gig. I mean, it's 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 full time. It's benefits. It's Orlando. So I mean, if you get one, you don't really give it up that easily, right? Um, so a lot of music, a lot of musicians are. I guess I'll use the word seasoned, <laughs> right? You know, definitely professionals, but it's a lot of you know, older guys, forties, fifties, sixties, you know, who've been there for decades. Um, that's just how that's how it works. Yeah. So I would say, is if you're a student, and you're interested, you just keep looking. I think it's Disney Careers or Disney Auditions dot com. It's Disney Auditions, and they'll post you know when there's an audition. I mean, there has not been one in eight months, nine months. Right. Um, they might be doing virtually, but since they just got rid of, you know, 28,000 employees, they're really not hiring anybody. Right. And once, once they bring the shows back, they will bring back the people who've been there. So, right. I was just clear, um, wanted to clarify that. So, so you're, you're, you're not currently with Disney, but, but you're, you're still, you're still there when the opportunity is there again. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm technically an employee through the end of the year, mm-hmm. December 31st. And then I'm, separate from the company, but they, through the musicians union, luckily they had these um, negotiations and they basically said, when the shows come back, if they come back within 12 to 18 months, they will rehire you at at your rate, at your status, everything, no audition needed. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're all kind of hoping for is that once this, you know, settles down and the vaccine comes out and stuff that they will bring back the shows and um, we'll go, I'll get back to work. We're recording uh, right before Thanksgiving, and this ep- yeah. episode will come out probably right after Christmas. So we're about a month early. Um, okay. I just saw on my phone today that, um, you know, it's like the f- first round of vaccine. They may have something in December. So, um, yeah. I, my, my hopes aren't high until we're like third or fourth round of vaccines. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. maybe that's progress. It's, it's better than nothing. It gives us some hope. So I'm really, I'm being cautiously optimistic that that'll work. The people will take it. And then, um, but the most important thing is just to be conscientious of those around you. I mean, wear a mask. It's yes. just, it's common, it's common courtesy. I mean, unfortunately, our, our governor in the state of Florida lifted all the mandates. Mm-hmm. So, so, but luckily all the businesses realize that's you know, foolish. And so they've kept them in place. So if you go to Disney, if you go to the parks, you have to wear a mask at all times. And if you don't, they can ask you to leave, which is only fair. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, 
that's how it works. It's it's strange, but it's it is what it is. Oh, that's, <laughs> you know, a pet peeve of mine. Um, when when people they need permission from lawmakers to do something that makes sense. Like yeah. I was, uh, my mom told me growing up, fasten your seatbelt. And this was long before there were any state laws about seatbelts. Right. She just said, fasten oh, yeah. your seatbelt. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think that I could have sat in the front seat <laughs> at the age that I used to now. But you right. know, like four or five years old and in the front seat. But I would always put the seatbelt on. It became a habit. And so right. when state laws rolled out, uh, well, you know, whatever. I've always put my seatbelt on. But sure. You know, I will always get in. You know, for years I would get in cars and people would say, "Oh, you don't have to wear a seatbelt in the state. It's not a state law, or you don't have to wear a seatbelt in the back seat." You know, it's like it's not a law, and it's like it doesn't matter if it's a law. It's right. common it's, sense. It's safety. Yeah, it's, <laughs> when I was a kid, we used to ride in the back of the station wagon, in the seat facing backwards, facing the back window. You right. Know? <laughs> you know, no seatbelt, no nothing. You know, but that's right. Uh, whatever. That's what it was. Um, so uh, how did you get into music? How old were you? Um, basically when I was in first grade, I took piano lessons, the Suzuki piano method. Uh-huh. Have you ever heard of that? Oh yeah. <laughs> it was basically, you had a record, you listened to it and played it. And that lasted, uh, maybe a month or two. I'm not sure. Um, that kind of ended. And then second grade, I started taking private piano lessons, uh, with a teacher that I think she was in my dad's school or someone knew her. So I took lessons from her for the next six years, second through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And then once I got to high school, I just was a little too busy, so I kind of stopped, but I kept playing. Um, I always tell people, I said, if I would have kept taking lessons, that'd be really good, but um, <laughs> I managed okay. So basically, once I got to high school, um, I kept playing. Obviously, I did a lot of, I really got into musical theater. That's really what I like to do um, as a performer. Mm-hmm. So I was doing a lot of musicals. Um, I did Pippin, Bad Birdie, South Pacific Oliver, um, and then when I got to college, um, there weren't as many. We I went to John Carroll University in Cleveland. It's a Jesuit college. So they basically had the Little Theater, which is literally 100 seats. And then they had the Kulas Auditorium, which was about 1,500 seats. Those are the two theaters. Um, and they never, hardly ever used Kulas for anything except for masses or concerts and stuff. And so they did these small shows in, in the Little Theater. And um, I did the musical Two by Two. And then I think that was that was it. Oh, the cabaret as well. And then when I was a senior, I was asked to music direct a show, which I'd never music directed before. And so, um, actually, I wrote a show which we were going to do. I'll get to that later. But I ended up music directing um, a day in Hollywood, a night in Ukraine, hmm. which is a musical. It's basically with uh, two pianos, um, usually two pianos backstage, one piano on stage. Um, and I'd, see, I'd seen it on Broadway in 81 on a high school trip, so I really was familiar with the show. So it was my first, you know, experience music directing. Right. Which I kind of liked. It was like, this is interesting. I'm actually teaching all the music, but I was also in the show. So it was a lot of work. I mean, teaching the whole cast, but also knowing that I had to learn my part. And then my character as well played piano on stage for the first and second act. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's a huge... If you ever do that show, don't don't be a music director and in the show right? because it's way too much to learn. I mean, I had to basically memorize everything, memorize the entire score, and then be on stage playing it and singing and acting and, and hmm. learning how to tap dance. So uh, it's a great show, but it's 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 too much if they ask you also music direct it because then you're just doing too much. Right, right. Um, 
Yeah. That's well. That's good advice. Some sometimes you know we we kind of can overestimate our capacity yeah. to multitask. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. But that was my first. That was my first chance in music directing, and that was back in eighty, eighty seven. Okay. Um, and I I didn't do it again until I got to Summerstock, which was in ninety two. Uh, I worked at uh, Shawnee Playhouse in the Poconos for two se- two seasons. Okay. Um, and I always recommend if, if a student, if somebody's interested in musical theater, I said, do summer stock. If you can get a summer stock gig, mm-hmm. it's the best, it's the best experience. It's very, very difficult, but you will learn so much and you'll be challenged. Uh, my first season we did uh, La Cage, Gypsy, Damn Yankees, Carousel. And then the next season we did uh, Godspell, the Fantastics, Guys and Dolls, Music Man. And usually you have 10 days to rehearse the show. And then it runs for like four to six weeks. And then it closes another 10 days. And the, the challenge was between the two big shows, between, I think, Gypsy and Damn Yankees, we only had five days. So we had 10 days rehearsal, but we were rehearsing as well as performing at night the other show. And it was just, it was a lot. Um, but it was great. But they also, it's also challenging because it's usually, summer stock's usually non-equity because you're, you're earning your thing, your points. So um, you might end up working game rehearsal eight or nine in the morning and not finishing until nine or 10 at night. Right. You know? And so it's, they're, they're working you hard. Once I got into equity theater, I'm like, wait, they can't work us 12 hours a day. And yeah. it's like, this is, you know, yeah. Different, different world. So, right. You know. Uh, summer stock. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very rich tradition too, especially among actors as well. Because, um, a couple years ago, uh, a friend of mine got married in uh, Pennsylvania, in uh, uh, Bucks County. Okay, yeah. And um, and I went up. Well, um, yeah, I think that was. I think that's where it was. Yeah. So I stayed at an Airbnb at this really charming house, and they were telling me how like there's the Bucks County Theater. There's a lot of uh, yeah, there's Bucks a County lot of house. stuff in that area. Um, so they used to do summer stock there, and and they were telling me some of the people that stayed in their very house way back when like including shirley jones <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and just a few others it's like wow it's that was very impressive yeah, I, I think actors in new york would take the summers off from the shows or whatever and they would go to the summer stock places for a couple of months to kind of like a vacation but also perform and it was close enough to the city i mean what we were east stroudsburg pa was about an hour and a half from new york so it was it was, it was away but it was still close enough that if you needed to get back you could um Okay. And like the, the shows I did, they were huge shows, but they only did them with a three-piece band, uh, usually piano-based drums or two keyboards, drums. So, mm-hmm. um, like Godspell was just piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fantastics was just piano. I used a, a sequencer for the the harp. Right. Harp. I think I think I sequenced the opening, um, and then I had the keyboard on top of the piano. So if there's a harp. Gliss, I would just gliss while I was playing. So right, okay. that was the extent of that was the extent of my sequencing nice. ability back in the nineties. Nice. Yeah. Um, I want to chase something you said. You, uh, you so you started with Suzuki method, which um, uh, now I happen to I, I played out of out of the Suzuki book. I didn't have the Suzuki method. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, you know, my my wife is a violinist, so I know a little bit about the Suzuki philosophy. You know, it's because because she actually she's not a Suzuki teacher, but she did the uh, like a workshop and all that. And one okay. of the big criticisms is that people who take Suzuki um, it, are really 
delaying their development and reading music, which of course I, I know from all the people I've talked to is imperative if you're going to you know play in the pit. Uh, right. So, but but you sounds you you switched to a private teacher when you were in second grade. So yeah. So I assume that you that at that point you were able to get a more traditional approach to music. Yeah, definitely. This I mean is. I barely remember the Suzuki stuff. All I remember it was there's a book and there's a record. Right. And you sort of listened to it and played it. So basically you're playing by ear, which is fine. But if you really want to be a professional musician, you have to know how to read music. And right. That wasn't teaching me how to read music. So luckily I learned the theory while I was, you know, taking lessons. Right. Um, and that was the that was the most boring part of, of <laughs> teaching music, taking lessons. But I always tell kids, I work with a lot of high school kids, if they're if they're taking you know, piano lessons or like I work with a couple of grade school kids who are as vocalists and they're thinking about taking piano. And I said, the best thing you can do is take piano or any kind of music because it really helped me with uh, my math skills. Mm-hmm. I was much better. I mean, I didn't even think about math. It was just like second nature all through grade school, high school. I went to college to calculus and just aced it with not even thinking about it. Cause it just made sense. I mean, counting fours, all that kind of stuff. For some reason, it just, uh, they go together. So I highly recommend that. Yeah. yeah and, you know, and, and as a music major in college, you have to take a math class. And, uh, and I just took, uh, it was called like business math. And, um, and I, and I took that because I wanted to take physics for my science. And, uh, that was like, that was like the lowest math that you could take <laughs> as a prerequisite for that. But I took it as a summer course. It was like a four week semester. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it weren't there weren't many of us in that class. I think there were like maybe three people besides me for because it was a very sm- it was a very small college in summer, and sure. uh, the the teacher on the opening or the professor on the opening um, class was going around getting everybody's majors and it's like um, sports administration, business, finance, and it got to me music composition. And she actually paused and said, um, "Okay, are you sure you're in the right class? We usually don't get music <laughs> majors in here." And I, and I just, right. I, I, I kind of took that as a challenge. And I also, yeah. I also knew how music and math connected. Uh, everybody right. else got a C in that class. I aced every test. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and, it, and it, it was funny. At one point, it's like, this sounds like I'm making it up. But at some point, the, the professor was going over homework and said, now, David, is, is this what you got? Is this correct? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's kind of funny. But there's a great, um, and the great courses series, that's uh, audio, there's video and audio lectures out there. There's one called How Music Music and mathematics relate. It's by Dr. David Kung, I think, K-U-N-G of Maryland. Okay. So it's about nine nine hours of lectures, but but really fascinating. In fact, I never understood I never understood the history of intonation and the overtone series as well as I I do since listening to his lecture series. It's right. really really fascinating. I, mean, cool. I have to I have to double check that title, but I think that's yeah. what it was. Um, but yeah, uh, I've, my, you know, my wife has played with Suzuki kids before, like, like we've played in orchestras, you know, and, you know, one of the things that kind of comes up is if that's the extent of your education, there's a struggle with new music. There's a struggle with, you know, like keeping up with the beat and the ensemble. And so, um, 
so I, you know, I don't want this to come off as like, you know, I'm criticizing the method. I think there, you know, I think there's some merits. I think there are musicians out there, and I've met some that don't ever use their ear, and and you've got to have a bit of an improvisatory ability in theater as well. But right. uh, but I think you've you've really got to hone your skills for sight reading. That's what I hear from every musician I talk to. It's like you've got to be able to read your music. So at some point, you've got to abandon that method or you've got to supplement it with a sure. sight reading intensive stuff. well it was always when i was interesting when i was in college and i played piano i met some other people who also played piano and i was like oh you know do you do shows or anything like no i just i just play for myself mm-hmm. and i thought i never thought of that it's like someone would learn an instrument and just be like i just want to learn to play piano i don't really want to perform in front of people i don't want to so it's like if that's what you want to do that's fine you know um it's not what I want to do, but it's, you know, so if they want to learn that method to play whatever instrument and they're just going to, for their own enjoyment, right. Nothing wrong with that. But if they want to be a professional musician, you know, um, when I was working at Bush gardens in Virginia years ago, we auditioned singer singers and everything. And we auditioned some musicians and this girl came in to play piano. So she plays her song and it was great. And I put down the book in front of her to sight read. I said, just start here. Uh, you know, there, they're about, about this tempo, you know, and she's looking at the music and she's looking at the keyboard and she's looking at the music. She's like, can you tell me where my hands go at the beginning? Where, oh, where they wow. go? The she had no idea how to sight read. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of, you know, showed her, but it was not going to happen. She just could not sight read at all. So, um, yeah, you definitely, I got real good. Here's how I got so good at sight reading. It's a bad thing. But I used to not practice for my lessons every week when I was in grade school. <laughs> And so our music would get in front of me. I'd be like, oh, I didn't practice this week. So I got real good at sight reading. Right. I look at it and go, oh. And nine times out of ten, I could fool her. Sometimes she'd be like, did you practice this week? And it's like, no, I didn't. So it's, that's not the way to be better at it. But right. it was, it was, I was under pressure to, you know, <laughs> to perform. So that's how right. I get it. And I just, but I also like, I, I would get my lessons, my stuff to learn. But I was, I'll get this this other book of just vocal selections, and I just love to sit down with them and just play them. And I got real good at, at um, you know, fake books, playing the lead line, you know, other company. And then I worked on my cruise ships and stuff. That's all it is is fake book stuff. So, right. um, which is uh, it's fun. I love that. You know, it's just there's no there's really I find no pressure in that. If someone just says here's here's a book of fake books that you can play for like an hour. I'm like, yeah, it's not. I'm not even thinking. You know, I can just sit there and play and, you know, it makes sense. And I can make my own style of stuff. And, yeah, it's neat. Nice. So I know one of the things that you said that you've done is you uh, you got to play keyboards for the Broadway tour of Mamma Mia. So tell us about yes. that experience. Yeah, that one, um, somehow I got a phone call or an email from somebody. Um, they basically worked with contractors. And they got my number and said, hey, would you be interested in playing keyboard four for Mamma Mia. Now, key- Mamma Mia has uh, nine people in the pit. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, four keyboards. Keyboard one is the conductor. Conductor one says one, two, three, four. Then there's uh, two guitars, bass, drums, and then uh, percussion, which is all the timp and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how that all works. So they sent me the, the score, and they sent me the... Uh, the tracks and the way it works in Mamma Mia is you're playing with a click track mm-hmm. um, for the whole show and so it's got to be very very exact um, and the, the book four is not it's not that difficult There's some, some songs where I literally play like 
dun, 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 like notes, one notes, the song um, uh, Chikatita. Right. It's where they all three women sing. That song ends with a chord. That's the only thing I play in the entire song. It's right. that one chord. Mm. And then that was it. So you set the whole song, <laughs> sit there, watch, nothing happens, you know, finish. And I would take a little bow to everyone because, you know, that one chord. Right. But, um, but the hardest part I, I learned when I was playing in the pit is not, it's, it's playing, playing the stuff exactly, but it's the patch changes. Mm-hmm. So you got a foot pedal. And when I first started the show, all the, the keyboards were programmed in, directly into the keyboard. So you hit the patch change, it would change the next patch. You look down and see what it was, make sure it's the right number. And if it's wrong, you go backwards, you hit a forward or backwards error. So you're doing the patch changes. You're also controlling the volume with your left foot, like a gas pedal. Right. So it'd be like half, full, third, whatever. And I kept thinking, why don't they just program the, the patches to be the right volume so you're not, you know, riding this pedal. But anyway, so that's your, then you're, you're hitting the patch the right time. And it's probably that show is over 100 patch changes. Um but it was fun, but it was also it was very mechanical. Mm-hmm. And you literally would sit down, you put the, the headset in. So in front of me is a monitor, so I can see the conductor because she's about two platforms up from me. Mm-hmm. So I can see her face. Um, and then down on the keyboard is, is the readout and all that. So basically, I'm sitting there, you know, hitting the patch changes, playing whatever. And it was fun, but it was it was you you felt kind of removed from the show. Plus, you're also wearing headphones, so you can't hear the audience. You can't hear the singers. You're just here. You get hear like whatever mix you want. So I have my own like mix of you know the click keyboard one, a little bit of sweetener, whatever. So um, it's just kind of strange. But I basically worked as a sub for that show. So they basically called me in. I did a couple shows in Orlando. I was like, great, that was fun. I, you know, I'm one Broadway experience. And then the next week, they're like, are you available for, you know, these four shows in Tampa? I was like, sure. So I you know, drove to Tampa. Well, then it became, for the next two or three years, I was like the keyboard for sub for the state of Florida. So I played Jacksonville, West Palm, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, you know, all over the place. Um, because the, the musicians there, they weren't leaving the tour. And I was already still working busy. So I really couldn't commit to going on the road. But I got to play a lot um, and then played it up in... Uh, Greenville, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and I think either Iowa or Nebraska, I forget, because I was in South Carolina. They're like, can you play next week? And we're in this state. So I ended up driving back to Orlando, flying to Nebraska, wow. and then doing a couple shows and flying back. But um, it was fun. It was fun. The best part was seeing all the different theaters. Um, some were gorgeous. Some were you know, kind of run down. Um, the funniest experience was when I played uh, Orlando, I don't think I played Orlando until a year later. Anyway, when I played the Bob Carr, which is the, our old Broadway theater, it's it used to be a, a lecture hall, and then it was kind of converted into a Broadway house, but it's just it's a bad space. So the orchestra pit was very small. Even though we were only a nine-piece band, there wasn't room for all of us. So I actually played the show down the hall in my own room by myself. It was like a concrete box. And so they'd all go in the pit, and I would walk down to this other room, sit down. It was just me with the keyboard and the monitor, like, away from the show. And that's where I played the show. So it was just, right. that was really weird. But the cool thing is I could wear whatever I want because no one could see me. So Nice. Was, was one of your theaters, shorts. by chance, Ruth Eckert Hall, Clearwater? Yeah, yeah, I played that one. Yeah. That's the purple one, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, my, so I haven't, haven't done, I haven't actually been inside that theater, but my, my wife grew up about a mile 
away from it. It's like there's a neighborhood oh, cool. behind it. And so so we'd ride our bikes over to it. And so, you know, really fascinating outside. But yeah, but a lot of big yeah, acts, a lot of big shows go through there. So. Yeah, so it's cool. So that was most of a fun experience doing that. Nice doing that tour. Uh, I've only seen a local production of uh, Mamma Mia. The the thing that sticks out for me is the never ending encore. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Here's the, well, the funny thing. A couple things is, um, so the 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 overture and the entract, um, we both we you know played those, but they're with a they're with a sweetener track, mm-hmm. um, and there's also some vocals on it, which were from the original. London cast, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of neat, but the finale, the the mega mix type thing, they would come out and they're all in their Hispanics or whatever. And they're like, "How you doing, Sarasota? You ready to whatever rock out?" Yeah. Then they go to the vocals, all tracked. It was all tracked, so they weren't singing live at all because they're they're full out dancing at that point, mm-hmm. and so they're all holding the mics and stuff. But there's there's nothing coming out of the voice. Mm. Um, Another thing was like during uh, it was voulez-vous or uh, one of those songs. I actually was triggering um, the vocal lines on my keyboard. Voulez, uh, it was gimme, gimme, gimme. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Gimme, gimme, gimme. A oh, man after midnight. All that was being loops for me. And so when I got to that song, I was just like so nervous. I'm like, don't don't let go of the key and you know early or don't come in too late or whatever because it's gonna everything will be horrible because right. they're all singing. And it's like, it's still up to me. So I'd literally hold on the key with one finger and put another finger on top of it <laughs> to right. make sure I didn't let go. Or I'd hold it down, hold the sustain pedal, hold my, you know, um, it's probably too much pressure on myself, but um, right. that was kind of fun. So that was, that was neat because it was actually triggering a loop, a vocal loop. Um, right. But yeah, a lot of my, a lot of my keyboard patches were very specific, a guitar run, a loop, uh, whatever. And it was very, very, you know, right. Uh, it was all synthesizers, all exactly from that era, from that, you know that show, and then like later on when I played the show my last time, they had switched over from internal programming to main stage, right? And so that's so why I had a computer, and the one difference was that in the old program you could play a patch if you held it down with one finger, you could advance to the next patch, and it would keep going. With main stage, they might have fixed it. I don't know. Someone can correct me on this. If you played a patch and then advanced it, it would cut off the patch. Hmm. So you had to you know, wait to the very last second to switch it, and then you know, well, I'm not sure if that's still the way it works. I'm I'm kind of very novice to main stage, but um, that was the one thing that was kind of weird. Yeah, I'll probably be able to tell you in two that. months. I'm playing. I'm, okay. I'm playing a show uh, at a local university. It's like a, I, it's a, it's to be recorded in advance and streamed, and, right. and I know it's a keyboard two book, and they told me it's I have a laptop with main stage. So right. Well, what's funny? The last show I did before the whole lockdown was. Um, curtains oh okay and at, at this high school that i work at and we had done it in the fall um with tracks because that's just you know the way that we did it and then we got picked to go to um state competition in tampa and they said oh, let's put let's, let's put a live orchestra with it i'm like okay sure <laughs> and i mean the, the 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 high school music program is great and those kids are great so we basically got a whole all high school kids to play the show and i played uh, there's two keyboards in it, so I played basically piano and then a keyboard too. Um, well, Curtains, the right, they're done through Theatrical Rights Worldwide (TRW), mm-hmm. which is a great, great company. And so when I contacted them, they gave me, they sent me all the books. And the best thing with that company, I love this, is they'll send you um, all the scores, mm-hmm. and and you just you keep them or you throw them away. You don't have to erase them, you don't have to return them. Right. They just print them out, and that that way they can 
I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of paper that's wasted, but they can also, if something, something needs to be updated, they can go into the program, update it, put in the files, and then if something gets printed, it'll be the perfect score. It'll always be updated as opposed to, you know, here are the changes, the score you have, and here's all the cuts and stuff. So it's it's great. The other thing was when I contacted um, Jim Hoare, who is the head of that, he they basically send you, or this show anyways, they sent me the main stage files for the keyboard for curtains. So I was like, Awesome. So basically, I, I bought a, a Apple uh, MacBook mm-hmm. and then put main stage on it, which was you know thirty bucks, and then loaded all the files. And that's I was going to play that for the show. So I get there, and then they said, "Oh no, you're going to play piano. We're going to have these kids do main stage." So, oh. so I learned sort of learned main stage, and I had to kind of teach it to them. Um, but they were great. I said, I "Got the foot pedal hooked up, and everything worked great." The couple patches that weren't triggering, but um, it was great. And it was, you know, the fact that the, the company actually provided the patches is awesome. I think that's that's the way to go because then you're going to always get the sounds that should be, you know, if you're coming from Broadway production, it should be these are the pit, these are the sounds we used in the pit, you know. Right. I know there's a whole business of people programming main stage, so they're probably mad at me for this, but for some of us who don't program main stage, I appreciate it. Right. <laughs> you know? Nice. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I just never, I never gotten into it. Just mainly because my, uh, well, I don't, I don't have a laptop at this point. I was like, I've got, I've got an oh. iPad and I've got a, uh, which I probably might be able to use on the iPad. I don't know, but I also have a, a desktop, and I just, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've just always gotten by with onboard sounds. But I'm sure there may come a time where, if I got more into the keyboard playing part, then I right. probably would want to get a laptop and so forth. Yeah, I'm sort of. I- I think I'm sort of a purist. I mean, if, if it was my mm-hmm. preference, someone said you can either have, you know, a 10 piece band or you can have like a six piece band and four keyboards. It's like, I don't have a life 10 piece band. That's just me. Right. But I know now with, with the budgets, with money, it's like, it makes so much sense to have a smaller band, have a keyboard that can trigger all these sounds. Right. You know, as mm-hmm. a keyboard player, I appreciate that. So like when I did, um, I did Bat Boy a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and it's just a four-piece band, but the keyboard is all these program sounds. Well, we we rehearsed it, and I was like, let's just use a piano, and we did, and it was fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, like a year later, we did Heather's, uh, same composer, yeah, a little bit bigger band, and but the keyboard is very specific, so I ended up programming it, programming my own keyboard internally for the show, and it it, it worked okay. I mean, main stage would have been obviously much better because patches would have been exactly what they were but um it was it was pretty good right for that so that was that was fine so i was noticing uh if i was going to describe like the bulk of your professional work uh you know outside of disney and you know outside of like the you know the the few seasons you've had like touring with mama mia looks like looks like it would divide pretty heavily between playing for schools and also for regional like regional theater so what are some of the i mean do you perceive like different expectations for those gigs and, and different challenges? Yeah. Well, the regional one I, I did, um, uh, Mill Mountain Theater in Roanoke, mm-hmm. Virginia did five shows there, I think. And I did a couple of shows at Virginia Musical Theater in Virginia Beach. And, um, they're both great experiences. Basically, the cast was hired from New York, but also some local people. Musicians were all local. They basically all played the shows. Every time there's a show that they'd hire the same band or the same group of people. And they brought me in as music director. So uh, the first show I did was Susicle at Mill Mountain. Mm-hmm. And 
it was a little learning curve, but it was it was great because the actress was so professional. So I basically worked with them for I think ten days or so, and I had one or two day rehearsals with the orchestra, um, and just kind of played through the whole score, gave them all the cuts and stuff, and then uh, yeah, then we were kind of putting the pit and up and running. So um, it was great. I really like regional theater. It was it's just it was nice because usually. Like Roanoke was the, the there's a really sense of a good sense of community and they're very appreciative of the theater, and so we did the shows that they were around Thanksgiving, and Christmas. So they'd have a big Thanksgiving dinner for all of us. And they all the volunteers put together and stuff, and we all stayed at the uh, cast housing, which used to be an old hotel, and they redid all the rooms, but they brought in designers from the city of Roanoke to each design each room differently, mm-hmm. and it was really cool. So basically, I had my own like apartment. Um, on the third floor, and then all the cast was on the second floor, and they shared a kitchen and stuff. But um, it was they were all sort of together, so that was neat. Uh, Virginia Musical Theater. It was just a couple actors there from New York. Everyone else was local, and we also kind of stayed like in a house or something. So it was more like a felt more like summer stock, but it's still great. Right. I did. Um, what did I do there? Uh, Damn Yankees, Big River, uh, I Love You're Perfect, and then the Civil War was my last show I did with them. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then Virginia Musical, uh, Roanoke, Mill Mountain, it was a susical, uh, funny thing happened in the way of the forum, a wonderful life musical version, world premiere of musical version of great expectations, which was, which was great. And then beauty and the beast. I think that was my last one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and, then, shows. and then when you're in schools, you know, I just assume that, you know, just you have to have a little bit more maybe patience with the process and, uh, and especially the teaching, I imagine. Yeah. The schools I've been working with, um, uh, West Orange high school in Ocoee, Florida for the last, I want to say almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, at first it's a little challenging because they're high school kids, but they are so hardworking and so professional. Um, I've said this so many times, I must almost rather work with high school students than professionals mm-hmm. because they'll do anything. They'll say, you know, if you rehearse something, say, okay, do it again. You get a professional, they'll be like, oh, it's time for my break. It's like, no, you do this again until you get it right. And and they really, really want to do the best they can do. So, um, and we can kind of weed out the kids who just want to be there and screw around. They'll, they'll, they'll be gone in, you know, a week or two. They just won't stick around. But the ones who really are, you know, professional about it are just so great to work with. They're so appreciative. Um Probably the best you asked me my best experience in theater. I think you was with questions. Mm-hmm. Was we did we did the world premiere of well the high school premiere of the musical Bright Star, mm. which was was the the Edie Brickell, Steve Martin bluegrass musical. And so the director of the theater had seen it on Broadway. She saw it. And was like I love this show, and immediately she got in touch with Jim Hort, the theatrical rights worldwide because they're getting the rights to it, and said I want to do the high school premiere of this when it's available. And just kind of kept in touch. And then it just kind of happened fall of 2017. She got the call. We're going to do it. She called me. She's like, I want to do it. I want to do it with a live band. And I said, okay. Um, and it's a, it's a nine-piece band. It's it's uh, piano, bass, drums, guitar, and then uh, cello, viola, violin, slash fiddle. Right. And then mandol- mandolin and banjo. Mm-hmm. And so... It's like, okay, we're not going to find a professional mandolin or banjo student at the high school. You know, it's mm. not going to happen. Right. So I ended up hiring two friends of mine who were amazing. Mm. Ended up hiring uh, the guitar 
bass and drums from another I'd worked with them before other shows. And then the strings were all high school kids, cello, viola, and fiddle. So, um, and the score is just, it's so well written. It's so clear. I, I just love that show. Cause the opening go, it makes sense. You're not sitting there trying to figure out what the composer wanted. It's just, it's so clear. Right. So basically rehearsed, I rehearsed my stuff. I'd been you know, rehearsing the cast and then work with the banjo and mandolin separately. Mm-hmm. And then, kind of with the rhythm section, work with the strings, and kind of put it all together. And it was great. A couple of challenges with that show, and if you've ever seen it, the main feature of it is there's a big house that's center stage, mm-hmm. like the outline of the house. Uh, there's no walls. It's kind of like the framework. That's where the band sits for the show. Like, well, that's cool. Well, the house platform also moves stage right, stage left, and it rotates. Mm. Um, and so there can't be any kind of electric in the house you can't any kind of chords or anything because the chords would get tangled so everything every instrument was acoustic um i think we had a battery powered amp for the mandolin all the microphones were obviously battery operated um i had my piano acoustic piano i had a music stand light which was battery operated um and so we just got used to playing this and the, we'd be playing all of a sudden the house start to move because they push us off stage at one point, we're playing, and it's doing a full, you know, revolve and going on stage. So, <laughs> trying to get was, dizzy. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's like, like, don't look, don't look out, look down. And, right. Um, it was great, and the kids are so great, and they, and the sound starts to go way off stage. So sometimes you have to run over like a, a bump or whatever. And uh, and I was like, whatever you do, do not ram the house into the wall because there's, you know, five musicians on this house that cannot fall off, right? And get hurt or whatever. Five ones, one, two, three, four. Seven of us right. in the house. The bass and the guitar were off stage. It wasn't enough room. So they're off stage playing with monitors. Anyway, so we did the show in the fall. It was a great, great experience. Then we got picked to go to state, a thespian competition in Tampa. So we did it again um, there. I hired a new banjo player who I'd worked with at Disney and put the band back together, did the show, and did it in this auditorium of like 1,100 high school kids, all theater kids who are the best audience you will ever have in your life because they're all into theater. So every joke, every song, everything was just, you know, thunderous applause. Um, and at the end of the show, curtain call, they're all standing ovation screaming. At the very end, the whole crew comes out in their blacks and the audience just goes nuts because half these kids in the audience are crew people as well. So they, they really, really appreciated it. Right. So, and we're like, that's great experience. Awesome highlight of our life well then we get called to go to the international thespian conference in um uh nebraska lincoln nebraska and so we had to take the whole show you know 24 hours up to nebraska they had to mm-hmm. rent a couple semi trucks bus everything had to go to nebraska um and i couldn't use the they actually used two of the band guys the the banjo and, and mandolin because uh, the one was the father of one of the students, the other one I worked with, and they all agreed to go with me. Everyone else I had to hire when I got there in Nebraska. So somehow I got contacts with this person, that person, ended up hiring six musicians, um, professionals in Nebraska, and told them it pays this. There's one rehearsal the day of, there's two shows. That's it. If you can do it, great. You know, no negotiation. It's like, this is what it pays. This is the thing. Mm-hmm. And so I got these amazing, amazing musicians. Um, we get there Saturday morning. Yeah, we did two shows on Saturday. Got there at like nine in the morning. Had one rehearsal with the band, and they just nailed everything. It was just like 
this is, you know, because I had sent them the scores, I'd sent the, the tracks. So basically, like, do your homework, learn your stuff. I don't, you know, I'm not gonna have time to teach you how to play your part, you know. And they all did the work, and it was great. So we did the show at two o'clock that afternoon, and the theater was like 3,000 seats at the, at the Lied Center, L I E D, mm-hmm. huge Broadway house, amazing. Great show, did the show, and then came back the night, did the eight o'clock show, and it was just like the best theater experience I've ever had in my life. It was. Right. No, I just want, I just want to say for yeah. the record that in my experience, theater kids are the best kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they really are. Uh, I've I've met them in different states. Uh, every time I meet them, they are the most well spoken, the most engaged with what's going on. They're polite. Um, it's like, cause I've, and I've been around band kids and orchestra kids. So I've been in a lot of, you know, people who aren't in the arts at all. Right. And, and, and I give theater kids the, the award for just being, you know, the most interesting kids. And I think yeah. probably set up to be among the most successful or whatever they choose to do. Right. That's the great thing is that our, the, the theater teacher there named uh, Tara Whitman, she basically tells these kids, you know, enjoy the experience, learn as much as you can, you know, you may never set your foot on stage ever again. Like this might be your one and only chance you'll ever get this opportunity. So enjoy it, take it in, you know, and it's so true because a lot of these kids will go on to do other things. Mm-hmm. A lot of the kids will go on to the arts and they'll try to get a career in New York or whatever, but they'll always remember, remember that one night we were in Nebraska and 3000 kids were screaming, you know, for us. So, right. It's just, I just really, every time I do a show, I just really, really enjoy it. I love, I just love working for them. I love, cause they just give so much back right. and I've done, geez, uh, well, I've taken, we took curtains to state. We took, um, 42nd street and you get your gun, Jekyll and Hyde. Um, if I'm missing one, I feel bad, but we've just, you've done a lot of shows and I've did, I did little women. We did, um, big fish. Mm-hmm. Um, we did state fair a couple of years ago, which was awesome. Cause most, High schools won't won't do it. Just it's not a popular show, and we had a full thirty piece orchestra, and it was just it was great because they got to play Rising Hammerstein score, you know. Mm. And it's just they should always. I love the kids who just get to be exposed to different genres of musical theater. I mean, a lot of kids today, well, they love the new stuff, which is great, but you got to know the old stuff too. You got to know the Oklahomas and the state fairs and all that, you know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. So you had an off-Broadway experience. The show is called yeah. Wake Up Your Weird. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that started, um, there's a puppeteer named is Leslie Carrara Rudolph. She's actually the um, the voice of Abby Cadabby on Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. And she had this character named Lolly Lardpop. Um, mm. five. She's five years old. She's a little sock puppet. And so she was performing at the Orlando Puppetry Festival, I think is what it was called. I'm mm. not sure. Last minute, they call me. She's like, I need a music director. So I'm going to play my show. I was like, okay. So she comes down. She's got a couple of original songs, some charts. And we did the show. And it was great. It was like an hour long, I think. Mm-hmm. And back then, I think it was called uh, Entertaining Thoughts, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so she kind of worked on that and then kept working. And then uh, I think we went to the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta and did a version of Wake Up Your Weird there for about a week, like a week run. Right. And then um, we went to the uh, National Puppetry Conference in um, at the O'Neill Center in Connecticut and did kind of workshop the show there, uh, put some more stuff, and I wrote a song for it. 
stuff like that. And then we ended up getting this off-Broadway, just a weekend of shows at the Marjorie Dean Little Theater up on the Upper West Side. So we rehearsed, went back to, to uh, Connecticut, rehearsed the show for a week with the set. And um, and I had like a, a small band, pian- I want to say piano-based drums, I think is what it was. Right. And I did all the I did the score for it, did all the arrangements. And then we went to New York and then did the show there for, for like a weekend. Um, and it was great. So that was my... Nice. Experience. And she's and she's friends with she knows everybody because she's done Sesame Street. So during our Saturday show, um, Cheetah Rivera came to the show and then came that night to the cabaret. So I got to meet her and it was that was that was awesome. Nice. If so you, it was great. That was, if if yeah. you type in wake up your weird on uh Wikipedia, it gives you a link for Leslie Carrera Rudolph. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, it might have I don't know if it's me, but I'll, you know, I was part of that show for a long, long time. Um and then through that show, so basically I work with Leslie and, and she had a couple of the puppeteers that worked on the show with her. And I met um, my friend Grant Bachoco, who was um, right. backstage doing backstage stuff, but also puppeteering. And we took Wake Up Your Weird to Austin, Texas five years ago, I think. Hmm. Maybe six. I don't know, a while ago. We did the show there. And when we were there, uh, Grant and I were, were roommates in the hotel. And one night I come back to the room and there's a roll of toilet paper sitting on my my um, pillow with two googly eyes on it. Mm. And, and he started calling him Toily. Nice. And so then we go to the theater. I come back, Toily be somewhere else. So um, from that, then Toily started calling me, leaving me voicemail messages. And so back and forth for a year. So then, then we thought we should make this into a show. So we kind of wrote a show um, called Toily T Paper Role Model, which we did at the Orlando Fringe in 20. 20- I think 16 nice. and then we did it in California at the Hollywood fringe. And then, then Grant uh, kept working on stuff. I've written a bunch of songs for him. And then he basically started this, uh, started a YouTube channel and Instagram and Twitter with Toily. And then about a year ago, he joined, um, you've heard of TikTok. Oh yeah. Thing. So he joined TikTok, and it just started growing and growing and growing. He's up to 2 million followers now. Wow. On TikTok. So Grant does these weekly, uh, shows called the Sun the Squat, with Toily and a bunch of different characters, and he also does uh, these daily live streams. And uh, so we've worked, we've done a couple, we've done an EP, we, we did a full Christmas album, and I've written a couple of songs during this quarantine. So we did a, a summer beach party song. I just wrote a song called Christmas for One, Christmas Christmas by Myself. That's what it's called, which just got released uh, today or tomorrow, I think. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. That's been a great outlet for, for my creativity is to work, you know, with this character, work this, you know, kind of show. We've had ideas for doing um, a theater piece or doing like a, a television series or whatever. But in the meantime, we can still work virtually. I can write a song, send it to him, or record the vocals. We might do a video where I'll send myself in front of a green screen, um, you know, performing or doing whatever. So that's been a great theatrical outlet for my for my talents right now since I can't be on a stage. Right. You know. So um how many a couple questions. How many shows have you written? And kind of related to that, when did you start writing music? Um I started writing when I was taking piano lessons, I started writing songs, but this is back in grade school. Right. And then in high school I wrote a couple couple little songs. Um when I got to college when I was a senior, I thought I'm gonna write a musical. Hmm. Um and so I sort of wrote a musical uh modern day retelling of the prodigal son mm-hmm. 
Oh, I thought I did. <laughs> right. And so I started. So I had like one or two songs done, sort of a script. I thought, I'm going to do this in the spring. It'll be the spring musical. It'll be this. So I submitted it to the theater director. And it came back. And his advice was, he's like, plays aren't written. They're rewritten. I said, that's true. They are. So I never finished that show. It just kind of, it's somewhere in a drawer, somewhere maybe. Um, so then I graduated college. I did a couple years in theme parks and whatever. And then in 97, I was working at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. And at the end of the season, we did a, a, a end of season banquet. And so I thought, I'm going to write a little, a little skit. And it just came to me, this idea. I was like, I should write a musical about theme parks. So basically, I wrote a show called Theme Park Diva. Mm. Um, did a 15-minute version. Had like four or five songs in it. And did it at the end of season banquet. Um, and it went over great and everything. And I moved to New York the next year and kind of kept working on it. They moved down to Florida in 99 and kept working on it. And then finally, in 2003, I submitted it to the Orlando Fringe. And so I did it. That was the first time I did Theme Park Diva at the Fringe. Um, and then since then, I've done it again in 2005, 2012. Expanded the script, made more stuff. Um, and now it's a full-length musical. So that was my first musical I wrote. And then, um, oh, back, back then, sorry, back in 95 when I was at Bush, uh, I was turning 30, so I wrote a song song cycle called just this once and basically all songs about what you deal with when you're turning 30 relationships family all that kind of stuff it's just a bunch of songs right so i did it in 95 uh for one hour night you know show type thing kind of kept it kept working on it and then 2015 i finally remounted it at the orlando fringe 20 years later mm -hmm. and um it went great it won it won patrons or one critics choice for best musical well, nice. so um that was my other show so i did that one and then I don't know what year it was. I did a one-woman show called Tapping and Yapping mm -hmm. about a fictitious, like, uh, uh, Ann Miller-type character with this friend of mine, Joy Anderson, who's this amazing tap dancer. So basically I wrote the show for her. And uh, she went, went through her whole career from vaudeville to movies to TV to, you know, whatever, trying to make a comeback. And so we did that show, recorded a CD. Do you do music, um, lyrics, and book? Yeah, yeah, I'm crazy like that. All right. Did all three. I did a parody version of Halloween, the John Carpenter film. Oh yeah, uh, called Halloween Musical. Did that at um, at one theater, and they did it the next year at the Shakespeare Center, and um, recorded that cast album, and then somehow got to TalkingBroadway.com, mm -hmm. and the guy reviewed it, great review, and then I got picked as one of the top ten cast albums of the year, like in 2008 or nine. Right. And I was like, great, I'm going to be a star now. Well, you know, nothing's happened since then. But um, so that um, one. And then my last, the last show I did was uh, um, a show called Psycho Mode, where I took Alvin Hitchcock's Psycho and I presented it with the music of Depeche Mode. Hmm. Um, I did that at the Fringe, which was great and very different. I'll probably never get to do that again because to get like the Hitchcock organization and Depeche Mode to agree to you know, allow me to use their stuff this way. Mm -hmm. It probably wouldn't happen. So I kind of, I did it and kind of did it under the radar, right. but it was great. It was, it was really cool. It was all black and white, but all the, um, but all the, you know, as the movie progressed, as, as the you know, play progressed, there's songs from Depeche Mode that fit in there. So it was really kind right. of cool. That was my, it's my last theatrical uh, creation. So tell us about a horror experience. So I was doing, um, I was conducting and playing piano for uh, Les Mis at the Orlando Shakes. And the way they had the stage set up, they built the platform, they built the, the turntable, and they built this back wall, and the orchestra was on the second level behind a wall, basically at the back of the theater. 
behind, a, so you're literally behind a wall. So I'm facing a wall. Orchestra is kind of facing out, but we can't, you can't be seen at all. You know, we're just behind there. So I had in front of me a big flat screen TV and then a monitor. And that's how I knew what was going on with the show to keep everything in track, you know, in sync. So the show starts to be the orchestra, da da, bump, ba da, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Then they come out and start singing, look down, and there's no monitor, like no vocal monitor. Mm-hmm. I can see them and I can like lean back against the wall and sort of hear ambient sound from the stage, but that's it. And I'm up a platform, so I'm looking down, <laughs> look down, yeah. <laughs> looking down. And I'm trying to find a stage manager, I'm waving, but I can't stop playing. Here's the thing with Lame is if you ever play and conduct it, you get one eight measure break two-thirds of the way through the first act, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you are constantly playing. There's no big scene where you can like sit back and take a drink. No, it's it's constant. So I'm playing, I'm looking down. She comes up the steps. She's like, what's wrong? I said, I have no monitor. I can't hear them at all. She's like, oh, we're working on it. show keeps going. They're still working on it. And she comes back. She's like, can you hear? I said, I got nothing. She's like, can we stop the show? I was like, well, no, don't stop the show because it's, you know, Les Mis, but I can't hear anything. So that whole first act was just a nightmare because I'm trying to conduct the orchestra and I, I I don't want them to play softly, but it's like, I can't hear the singers. And so I basically told her, I said, tell the singers, I can't hear them. So they got to follow me. You know, they can't take these pauses and stuff. They got to follow me. So that was, that was one of, that was the most tense moment. The same show, I was the same show, but like the same, you know, production they were doing, um, she just sang uh, I Dreamed a Dream, The mm-hmm. Mother Dies. And the next thing is, because that comes on, Luke is sweeping, singing Castle on a Cloud. So the minor comes up. The platform didn't revolve. So she's sweeping, and her mother's still there in the bed, dead, <laughs> next to her. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and then, like, later on, another production would do in the platform, and it wouldn't revolve. And so the stage manager comes up. She's like, keep vamping. I vamp for five minutes. And just over and over. So it was just one thing after another. It's like, don't don't ever put an orchestra behind a wall where they can't be seen or they can't see the stage. It was just, it was, it was I, a nightmare. I relate so. strongly to all of that. I, <laughs> I music directed and played keyboard for Les Mis in 2013. And we, we had a 13-piece ensemble behind the stage. I could not see anything. And yeah. uh, opening night, I couldn't hear anything. So it's like, so I, and I knew that that was a possibility. So I told them in advance, I said, we are a live karaoke track for you guys. You know, just you hear it, you follow us. And, go, yeah. and that was what we had to do. And then eventually I did, I was able to hear them. And yeah. that was a help. But it still, I was like, uh, yeah, you're still following me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one other time, because they had some mic issues and stuff, and this one, the guy playing Javert, his mic kept going in and out. And he was getting mad, which he has every right to get mad if his mic's not working. So gets to right before stars, and his mic's not working. And he's like, he was like, no. And he walked off stage, wouldn't do stars. So we had to cut the song. And so I look at the orchestra, I'm like, okay, cut number 12, go to number 13. Wow. And we just <laughs> cut it. And then I'm like, oh. I was like, well. So that was that was fun. You know, it, but it keeps it keeps you on your toes. I mean, when I was doing Mamma Mia, because it's so regimented and you're in a click, one night, um, one of the girls went up on a lyric during um, Honey, Honey at the top of the show. And she went up on it, and we're just sitting there playing. All of a sudden, we're all like, huh? Mm. We're all like, around. we're like, huh? Oh. <laughs> we like woke us up. We're like, oh, okay. And so the director's like, 23. 
24. Okay, then we're all back on, you know, back on uh, on page, but um it's kind it's, of unfortunate for the Javert because Stars is like the one song where he can get some sympathy. <laughs> that's it. And he's like he's like I'm not singing it. My mic's not working. I'm not going to try to scream over this orchestra. Wow. To a 300 seat. So he's like, "No, I'm not doing it." And so he just didn't refuse to do it. I'm like, "Wow." Yeah, nice. that's fun. Anyway. Um yeah, so um Great, yeah, great interview. So much stuff that Thank we could you. have spent more time on. Uh, where can well, people sure. follow you if they'd like to? Um, if they want, I've got a. Uh, I'm on Facebook, like a, a professional musician page, I guess. Mm-hmm. They're looking at John D. DeHaz, uh musician. I think that's what it's called. And uh, I've got a bunch of. Um, I put a bunch of new age um, CDs out. Just me playing piano. I've done a couple of those CDs, but it also has. Might have a link to my other stuff. And if you search on Facebook, I've got a, a page for Halloween the Musical, Theme Park Diva, uh, Just This Once, uh, Tappin' and Yappin'. And those are also all available on uh, Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes. Okay. Uh, they used to be on CD Baby, but the CD Baby doesn't do streaming anymore. They don't do downloads. Um, and if you want to follow Toily, it's thetoily.com. And there's usually links to all the stuff. I mean, like half a dozen videos. Um, right. and, it's a lot, and I actually I sing on a couple of the albums which is funny because I'm not a singer <laughs> and that's one of the running jokes is that one of the characters name is Pasty the toothpaste dude he always comments on how beautiful my voice is oh. and how I should sing I should sing more which is so funny so that's that's a running gag so anyway nice. that's my my comedy thing but right now I, I think I told you I'm working on my master's master's degree in creative writing uh, musical theater for theater for the University of Denver and I'll be graduating in March with that. So I'm kind of, that's been a great experience to actually stretch myself outside of my comfort zone of musical theater. I'm actually writing a musical screenplay now for my final project. And I wrote a full length play for my writing drama class. So uh, that's been really neat going back to school okay. and, uh, and you know, working outside of my comfort zone, which is, it's never too late to learn something new. That's true. All right. That's well, thank my you. Motto. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, Dave. And that concludes episode number 32. Uh, I just wanted to remind you, if you hear something, uh, if you hear an interesting guest, if you like what they have to say, uh, but maybe you have more questions, maybe you have more questions about, uh, I don't know, Disney World or just being on a national tour, for example, just with this episode, uh, feel free to send me a message and just ask me that question. Um, I don't mind reaching back out to the guests and asking them, and uh, I may not record them, but I'll get their answer and I'll share it. I mean, this podcast is for you, the listener. If there are things that, that you would like to hear in the future in future episodes, again, let me know that. You can send me a message on Instagram or, or on Facebook now. And, uh, of course, you can also, um, through the podcast portion of my website, davidlanemusic.com slash podcast, you can, there's a contact form there. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you would like to hear in future episodes. Okay, if you're thinking it's January... That's been a nice thing, hearing uh, hearing about Florida, the Sunshine State. Uh, you're in luck because episode 33 is also in Florida. I'm going to be talking to somebody down in Miami. Um, so looking forward to that next week. Uh, also, might might slip in the fourth part of Ask the Music Director between now and then. So, again, just uh, make sure you're subscribed to, the, to Life in the Pit podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, maybe a couple of episodes next week. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. 
And you can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. And as always, I want to give a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast or leave feedback through davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.